in a recent book I wrote about this relationship between music and medicine, I devoted just an, one entire chapter to see how music and medicine since ancient times, also since Egypt, Babylonia, and for example, in the um, Hammurabi, Hammurabi Codex, that is one of the ancient uh, documents of the medicine from the Babylonia, Babylon times. They they are documenting how important is music for the well-being of people. Today I'm talking to Patricia Caicedo. She's a musician, a musicologist, an author, and a physician. And she's talking about her latest book, We Are What We Listen To. Good morning, Patricia. It's so lovely to meet you here on Zoom. Good morning, Petra. I'm super happy to meet you too. And tell me, where are you based at the moment? I'm in Barcelona. That's home for me. Oh, beautiful. Beautiful city to call home. Yes, it has been my home for 24 years now. Really? And tell me, is uh, you have such an amazing story and and uh, your uh, everything you do is, is so uh, focused on music and focused on well, you, you're also a physician. You're not just a musician, but you're also a physician. Um, you must love study, to study. Yes. <laughs> yes, I love to study, but, and you know that some people or children, I don't know, they think studying is something boring or that requires effort. For me, probably studying is a way of life. It's a way of approaching things. It's constantly curious about learning about things. So I don't feel I'm studying. It's just living, learning, a curiosity. But were you like this as a child? I think so. I, I was always trying to learn. And and I think part of, of this um, way of seeing life and approaching the world comes from having studied music since a very early age because when you are studying music you are stimulating your brain you are um, awakening parts of your brain that normally if you wouldn't study music you wouldn't have that that uh, stimulus probably you is is harder i think yeah. So, but because I wanted to ask you now, what came first? So you say you studied music from a young age, and did you know then that you wanted to become like a professional musician or or a singer? So, actually, no. I started studying music when I was five years old because my dad loves music. In fact, I was telling you that recently I went to Vienna. And yeah. I was all the time thinking about him because I grew up listening to Mozart, to Beethoven, to Western classical music, thanks to my dad. And so I grew up in this environment at the conservatory. But when I started in studying a career, I was very young. I finished high school at 16. So the choice of going to university was at that age. In my mind, I'm probably conditioned by social expectations and family expectations, etc. Music was not a career at that time. I you don't see a music as a career, and I think it happened to many musicians in previous times. You know that music is something like it's an ornament, and also for women historically, 
uh, women since centuries ago, they were trained in music, but they wa that was an ornament. Yeah. At the, not something to think as a profession. So something like that I, I, I happened to me. So when I went to, I chose choose my my career was medicine because I also was attracted for that and also the idea of helping others and what was something appealing to me. So I started studying the career of medicine that is seven years in Colombia where I was born. Oh, so yeah. that's another another aspect. Yeah. So but the first thing I look for when I enter at the university was, of course, the choir of the really? university. Mm -hmm. So my my friends at the university came from the choir or the people who were doing culturally related like arts. Mm -hmm. But it was very hard to be to study music full time or to be at the conservatory while I was at medical school because the studies were very time consuming, very demanding. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So um, I had my singing as my hobby and I sung at the choir and I also gave many, many concerts in all the hospitals when I started um, in the hospital after yeah. the, in the fourth year in the of medical school, we enter to do the practice in the hospitals. So I, together with other colleagues who were my teachers, professors of medicine who were also musicians, um, we created a small music group and we presented concerts in many, many hospitals. Amazing. Si, si. So that was the way in which I managed to keep the music alive, although I was not studying and at the time I was not, I have not studied voice mm. or I never received vocal training during those years. I just sung as I had the voice, yeah. but um, I, I never have received vocal training until I was 23. Mm. And uh, but that was in between the time that you studied medicine. Exactly. You got the training, yeah. But isn't this amazing? I mean, it's it's it just shows you how. This is what I'm trying to get at with all these interviews. Also, is how connected art and sciences are. Yes, they are connected, and they historically, sadly, nowadays that we have compartmentalized knowledge in such a way since enlightenment and i find this very sad because all arts are are connected and yeah. and arts and sorry and sciences are yeah. connected and you are that you are talking from vienna you live in vienna now it comes to my mind this golden time of the union between arts and sciences in at the turn of the 20th century in vienna where freud and uh, klimt and Mahler and kokoschka and all were they were at the same time living together but not only living at the same time but collaborating because what was being found in in science was informing what was happening in arts also so they were connect, connected and they uh, finding the unconscious mind and all these things of by freud also had impact in the visual arts 
and music. So they were connected. Yeah. So, and I don't know in which moment we start super specializing and dividing, which I think it impoverish our yeah. approach to, to reality. Yeah. And the thing is also, I mean, I, I spoke not long ago to an obstetrician and he says that he, um, well, he, I spoke to him as an artist because he's a, um, um, a sculptor. And he tells me that many of his students, he said that, you know, it's either poetry or music or something like that, that they are doing. And, um, and I find that so interesting, you know, that this, uh, that in these science fields that people are also doing art. So imagine now we found it, uh, curious but since ancient times music for example music and medicine had been together since uh, for example in the medieval times if you would like to be a physician you have to know music because really? that was a requirement because there were certain melodies and tunes that were used in the healing of patients for example and also the, the the training of the physician included astrology, history, music. Amazing. All these things were part of the training of the physician. In a recent book I wrote about this relationship between music and medicine, I devoted just and then one entire chapter to see how music and medicine since ancient times, also since Egypt, Babylonia, and for example, in the um, Hammurabi, Hammurabi Codex, that is one of the ancient uh, documents of the medicine from the Babylonia, Babylon times. They they are documenting how important is music for the well-being of people and is used. And for example, Plato and all in Greece and all other philosophers, they also acknowledge the power and the importance of music to soothe the and heal the mind and to be like center and to be happy. So this is documented through history since centuries and centuries ago. And this is for me so incredible that, and, and even after this pandemic and you see how people reverted to art the moment we everything was taken away people started creating and they started you know people who's never baked before started baking and and exploring all these uh, artistic uh, fields um and you think that why are we not educating our children um in art you know, uh, art yeah. should be a, a, a very important subject in a school. And now it's like half an hour a week, maybe, and, you know, or on the side or in the afternoon and no focus really on that. This is very worrisome because I think our capitalistic, super capitalistic society that is just focusing in gaining and accumulating money and material wealth is is not seeing that for i mean the essential well-being of human beings is not is not based on what you have and money i mean you you need to have a certain minimum level of 
of well-being and, and material wealth to have education, health, uh, food and roof in your in your your you have a roof, but just accumulating for the sake of accumulating, you mm -hmm. lose track. And so because of that mentality, our society is now completely focused in in training children and preparing them for sciences and technologies. But sciences and technologies that are totally detached from the humanity hum, human part of it. And arts and and humanities are the ones who enrich the yeah. the and enrich and give purpose to our skills in technology. And we see is dramatic that we, for example, if we look at the European Union and the money that they have for funding for research, you see that there is for research and or for funding businesses and grants, they have this, let's say, 100 for uh, technology and for humanities, they have these, they have 20. So it seems like we are not appreciating because what we are signing money in resources means where we have our values. Yeah, so, exactly. yes, mm -hmm. so we are not appreciating our immaterial heritage, our history, our the humanities. And this is what exactly makes us different from the machine. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And in the in the not very near uh, far away future, machines will be doing most of the tasks we are doing now. So people will be with a lot of time mm -hmm. and time for what? Yeah. Time for probably it to be taking care of others, taking care of us, uh, creativity, but we are not training people for that yeah this is exactly. very worrisome and and also i what what i've also spoken about is uh, the fact that even research you have to have some you have to have creativity and you have to have a very open creative mind to be able to do this research so if money is then allocated to research it needs to also prepare the people who are going to do the research um, yes. in, in, in that way. I mm. totally agree because I mean creativity and there are many studies. This is another chapter of my book in which I show how correlative talents. I mean, there are the, for example, uh, some of the Nobel Prize people or big achievers in our history in, in sciences. Yeah. have all cultivated arts of music because it seems like from a brain perspective that mm. there it stimulates um, a multimodal cognition i mean different areas of the brain that are the ones who spark creativity those are called the cor correlative uh, talents mm. so you see for example um Einstein was a very gifted violinist. Um, Ramon y Cajal, who was a Nobel Prize in neuro neurology, he was a painter. Um, Max Planck also was a musician. And so there were many of these scientists, super, super scientists who 
won Nobel prizes in physics or in, or in mathematics or so they were also musicians and this music also um straightened their abilities and also gave them uh, it's it said that um it said not uh, Einstein uh, said that when he had um a very difficult problems in physics what he did was he went to his room he closed himself and played the violin for a long really? time and when he went out he had the answer amazing yeah but yeah and it's it's also um i saw a research um or a study being done in germany where they put um monitors on the brains of musicians but then also on the audience and they found that even by listening the same happens yes so mm. we the effects the positive effects of music are for the person who practices it of course because it's like a very demanding task for mm. the brain because imagine if you are for example playing the piano what well, at the same time you are the motor skills, the attention, the memory, the rhythm, all these things, many things at the same time are happening. This is a very high demanding task for the brain. But also if you are listening to the music, there are many areas of the brain uh, activating the emotion, the memory, uh, and all the, the attention and all the requirements to to understand the music to feel it and to for example spark rhythm or the desire to dance or yeah. to cry so all these things are happening and stimulating the brain for the one who plays and for the one who listens is it's beneficial and another thing that i also um when i spoke to the obstetrician who who uh, were we talked about this art and and how these doctors then also who he, he actually encourages them to do art in their spare time and so on but also when it comes to patients working with patients that they have an empathy that they have a different way of dealing with what with the people that they need to to um heal or or look after Probably yes, because I think you get in touch with your own feelings in a way that you are obliged through 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 practicing art or painting or writing or singing, playing an instrument. What you have to do while you are doing that is to quiet your mind and play, put your full attention in something that is connecting you with your own feelings with with your own is bringing you inside our modern world is constantly bringing us outside disconnecting us from ourselves connecting us to devices or other people is outside of us so in when we connect with ourselves we feel and we also sometimes it's hard because we are confronted with our sorrows with our frustrations with our um, fears i this calls to our humanity it means 
we remember we are humans and we can put ourselves in the place of others who are suffering or experiences these things and makes us more compa compassionate. Yeah. yeah. So this is very important for a, a, a um, health professional. Yeah. So to feel that out, oh, this other person, I, I have compassion because I know how is feel that way. So it creates a better bonding, better relationship between the, the doctor or the pra medical practitioner and the patient. But not only that, when the, if you play music for the, for the patients, there are many studies that are famous now, some of them that show how, um, for example, in, in Alzheimer patients who have lost their memories, music that has meaning for them or that has had meaning for them yeah uh, can spark memories that were believed were completely lost because as i was mentioning before music stimulates many areas of the brain including one of them that is very important is memory so these you or the people who are listening to us, they can relate to the fact that there are songs that immediately bring us to our teenager years or to our childhood, or we link our identity, our own history to certain music. Each person in their own unique um, cultural environment. Mm -hmm. So this... Um, connections are in a way like anchors that bring the memory to us in, ca in case, for example, if you have um, Alzheimer's. That's why it's uh, recommended that we create kind of a diary of our music, the music that is important for us and the music that we like or a playlist if we use, for example, a modern Spotify or something like that. We create this, those playlists with the music that is meaningful to us because in this music could be a therapeutical tool in case in a certain moment we would experience memory loss or uh, degeneration, cognitive uh, degeneration, because it will help to spark the, the brain. Mm -hmm. So th there are many uses for music also when people are terminal patients. There are many studies in which um, through music, through writing songs, you don't have to be a musician or a professional musician to write a song or to write a lyrics or something that is meaningful to you. So using songwriting in uh, terminal patients have proved to be cathartic or to help in this process of um, accepting our own mortality. Even without being a we are all terminal patients in the sense that we are all, we are all dying. We will die at any moment. It could be tomorrow or in 20 years. But mortality is something that in our society, we also tend to deny. Apparently, nobody dies and nobody talks about death because it's something that is we, we don't want to confront. But... Through, through music and through all those exercises, especially when people know that they are have a terminal illness, they have they can kind of 
come to terms to this mortality, write what they're in those songs, what is important to them, what they want to communicate to their families. Also, there have been many studies in which families of terminal illness, ill people or families of people who have decided to a uh, voluntary death. Uh, uh, oh, yeah. they, they gather and they exchange the music that had been important for them in certain periods. And they also play the music that is important for the people and that accompany that person who is dying in the moment of death. And music proves to be a, a, a companion, a, a facilitator in this transit. That's amazing. I didn't realize, I mean, I didn't know it to that extent, but it, it makes total sense that that could happen. And I, I'm wondering now, now that we're talking about this, is this, could this also be the reason why folk songs, songs who come from generation to generation, that that is almost like a, uh, you know, a comfort to us because it would be something your grandmother sang to you and you sing it to your children again. And, and this is how this, this uh, sort of uh, um, memory and this emotional memory almost continues. That's a beautiful thought because what you are saying, yes, music is used, for example, there is this also well-known example of the jazz funerals in, in New Orleans. You know, mm -hmm. the jazz funerals, when somebody, a member of the community dies, people come out with all these bands and celebrating. Oh. And through music, what, what are we doing through music? All those rituals that use music in the moment of death or when we lose a member of our community is to preserve this member of the community with us. Although the person is not with us, through the music and the ritual, we try to preserve this member and to maintain their memory. So exactly what you mentioned, through folk music or music who pass from one generation to an another, we are preserving this memory. We are maintaining our own identity because our identity, who I am, is formed not all of who I am right now, this body. I'm the the adding the the sum of sum. I don't know if you say that in English. The the collection of oh, yeah. me and all the members, the previous generations that had been adding to make me who I am right now. Yeah. And music is, a, a, a folk music and melodies are um, a reminder of that. Yes, mm -hmm. that's a beautiful connection that you yeah, no, I just I just thought of that when well, while we were talking, while you were mentioning this, but um, tell me how what sparked this book? What sparked it for you to do this research in in this uh, connections? So I have been as as we mentioned, uh, studying music since I was small. Then I studied medicine, and at certain point when I was twenty eight, twenty nine, and I had been. As soon as I finished medicine, I went back to the conservatory to study voice. Okay. Finally, but I thought it would be my hobby. Oh, yeah. But little by little, music started taking more spaces of my life and making me happier. So at certain point, I said, I wouldn't like to be one day 40 years old and look back and say I could do mm -hmm. and didn't do. So I will try to 
become a full-time musician. So when I made that that decision, I took that decision. It was when I came to live to Barcelona to change my identity in a way and to start with as a musician, to come to study with a teacher, to start my doctorate in musicology, etc. So for many years, I was into the world of music and musicology only. I thought, I was thinking that. And I, I thought I, I had le left the medical part behind. But with year, and I also was kind of regretting, oh, I started late in these studies in music because I wasted those years um, with medicine and studying medicine. And now everything is harder because I'm arriving late. Yeah. So, but after a few years, I felt and I discovered that all that medical training had added a lot to the musician and the person that I was. And that though both things were inseparable. So all in the latest years, I had been trying to honor both sides. And during the pandemic, I said, let's finally, I have this a little bit more time. So I will sit and write about that combination of music and health and and try also to document it from historical perspective, adding my training as a historian because I'm a musicologist. So mm -hmm. this book is is a combination of historical, medical, and musical elements. And I wanted also to do this in a way that would be very accessible, very easy to read with rigor, academic rigor, but in a accessible way. So I just said, I want more people to know the wonders of music so and, mm. and their health. So that's mm. what I decided to, to write this book. And that's the timing of it is perfect because really, I think we, we all are much more conscious of health, our health after this pandemic. I think people are more aware of the importance of health. Hopefully this will last because yeah. we tend, we tend yeah. to forget. Um, but yes, I think now more than ever, people need to resort to mm -hmm. these activities to connect with themselves, even without the pandemic, these times that are so fast and all the things we are experiencing, wars, lack of resources, the environment, all these very extreme situations in which we have we have put ourselves mm -hmm. are demonstrating that we advance in science and in technology, but that's humans in our humanity. We are like people in the caves. Yeah. We have we are not evolving as humans in the same speed as we are evolved, as our technology is evolving. Mm -hmm. And the, yeah, this means that behind this technology, we have to, we have to nurture all this with other tools, other um, acknowledgements, other, yeah. other enrich that. Because also, I think if we if we don't, then we would also not be able to 
handle the tech, the advances in technology, you know, that we would also not use it in a positive way as it's supposed to be used because mentally we would not be able to um, to understand the reasoning for it. Exactly. Yeah. Also, the purpose, I, I mean, there are some studies. I, I One of the chapters is called... Um, mu- um, Life meaning, I don't remember the title at this very moment, but it's talking about the meaning of life and music and the meaning of life. Demonstrating uh, there are also many studies in which um, professional musicians or people who are who practice music in all age, they feel more integrated in their communities. They are healthier meant, uh, psychologically and they find that their life has a meaning. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The musician or pe- person who practice any art are constantly trying to improve, to learn new skills, to do it better, to learn a piece that is a little bit more complex. And to do it, sometimes music, you do it in community with others. So this is proof to make us happier mm-hmm. and also give us purpose, the sense of purpose in life that keeps us healthier for longer periods uh, until all age. So the meaning of what everything we are doing is for what? Everything we are advancing in technology is for what? For being, probably being happier, living better lives. But we are losing track of that. Yeah. Well, this was actually the project that I did over lockdown when I, I photographed 500 artists in their windows. And I spoke also to them in the time. And this was really what, what drove this project was um, my question that the more I spoke to them, the more I spoke to artists and, and uh, the whole project, how I photographed them and and things started I thinking, okay, why, why is it possible for these people to persevere? You know, why is it possible for them to find these solutions in this in this devastating times for them and how is it possible that they can still be positive and that they can still see uh, you know solutions and um and this i i realized it is because they are um invested in a form of art they are either a musician or a dancer but they or a photographer through, like you. Yeah, but through this form of art, they they develop these skills. You know, they develop these skills to find a positive or to. Uh, this was I, I was thinking. Yes, well, if 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 they practice, you know, every day and every day or every time there is a new a new challenge, so they overcome this new challenge. And then, and so they live lives, their lives of overcoming little challenges. You know, for a long time, it's like now I'm learning a new piece or I'm learning a new skill or whatever. So that prepares them really for life's bigger obstacles. So they, they seem to find a way over obstacles, you know, and, and this is why I think uh, it's so important that we teach art to our children or in all forms of art should be um, really a, a very important subject in a school. 
You see, I agree completely. And you see mm -hmm. that now I remember the title of this chapter is Music, yeah. Happiness, and the Meaning of Life. So uh, there, there is a, a, a professor at the University of California uh, whose last name is Chichenit Heights. So he is the, um, the expert in studying happiness. How is that we feel happy? Why? In which states? What? Um, and makes us feel happy, how is how we achieve that state of happiness. So he, after years of research, he found that the state of flow, as he called it, is achieved when we are in completely invested in a, a, our attention in one activity in which we know we can do it well, but at the same time, we can do it well, but it represents also a challenge, a challenge that is achievable. Mm -hmm. So in this uh, activity in which we have our attention, complete attention invested, we know that we are doing something that is challenging, that we can get it. Um, people lose track of time, usually mm -hmm. in this state of flow, as he described it. He, they don't feel... And, they feel completely connected in the moment with what they are doing. So those are the moments of flow or happiness that we can achieve when we are, for, you are, for example, thinking how to do this picture, how what the light or the challenge of doing that right or singing a new song or writing a new text or painting or or painting houses because he found for example that some people who were or sportists or people who were just painting houses they wanted to do it well and they were invested completely in that in that activity and they lost track of time and they were in the moment completely feeling fulfilled yeah. so that's happiness and that's through these activities like uh, through our artistic activities we achieve this flow yeah that's amazing i'm going to try and and, and read about that because this is to read my book i know i'll read your book mm -hmm. yeah <laughs> but uh, patricia you you also um uh I don't know if you you've you've tried to sing also and to try to delve into um, music that's a repertoire that's not um, very commonly um, heard. Is that right? It's 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 something that you feel passionate about as well. Yes, I have a sense of mission in life, yeah. and that that mission is connected to to the need of preserving and promoting internationally the repertoire created by Latin American and Iberian composers, the art song repertoire. And when I say art song, I'm referring to the lead repertoire, probably the, the song, the classical song that people usually think that is was created only in the German speaking countries in 19 and 18, 19 and 20th century. But this this repertoire also, this kind of song also had been created in all over the world. So part mm -hmm. of my research and as a musicologist uh, is coming from the 
what is called decolonial studies. And is that I'm trying to raise awareness that all these paradigms of thought that in which we situated, many people think the music is the music of Central Europe and the rest of, that's the only music and the rest is just peripheric or music that is not of the same quality. This is a, a construction coming from the centers of power of 18th and 19th century, uh, in which they situated themselves and their cultural productions in the center as the best. And the music produces in the uh, peripheries at the time, economic peripheries, was situated in a lower scale. So I am trying to raise awareness of that that fact that this is a construction is not a reality and there is no one music there are many musics of the same quality created in different parts of the world and my part of the world that one that i can devote my life to it is of course latin america and the iberian peninsula and i have been as a singer at singing this repertoire in Spanish, in Portuguese, in Catalan, and also in some indigenous languages. So I'm passionate I'm about, writing. yes, so recording CDs, writing books, and publishing the music so other singers can perform it. Because nowadays, in all the institutions who train musicians, classical singers around the world, the curricula of all these institutions is still Eurocentric from 19th century. So they are trained learning German lead, Italian and French. That's it. So that curriculum reflects those values of 18th, 19th century, but is Eurocentric, colonialistic. So yeah. we, my thing is we have to construct a new curriculum that is inclusive and diverse. Mm -hmm. That's really interesting that you're saying that because I remember speaking to a, a classical singer in South Africa, Barbara Fienemans, and she was telling me about Afrikaans leader. Uh, that's mm -hmm. also not well known. And, and that she said also beautiful, beautiful leader in, in Afrikaans and beautiful, you know, melodies and, and so on. And it's something that is also not known about, you know. So it's interesting that you mention it now from from also um, the Latin American. Yes. Yeah, so um, yeah. I have been doing this work and trying to write um, books and publishing and doing, and mm -hmm. the 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 work I'm doing trying to to promote this repertoire, this heritage, is also inspiring people from other places like from Turkey or now there is a person in Romania or a person in in different parts that they are now using kind of a similar methodology to rescue other art song repertoires. Amazing, yeah. See. Your, your work is just spreading uh, the world and connecting them, you know, connecting with other people. Isn't it amazing? So yes, my my I I feel so privileged. I work a lot and all the time. Also, part of these peripheries or not music that is not seen is was the works of women. Oh, okay. Because mm -hmm. I mean, those narratives, those constructions were built by men. 
Yeah. So also the art songs are the compositions by women have a special place in my in my research. Mm-hmm. I'm working now in, in in that. Or in October I'm going to. I was invited to the 25th uh, anniversary of the African American Art Song um, Alliance. So I will be talking about Africa uh, Afro Latin composers and their art songs. So. To see all this panorama, the all the ones who have been in the peripheries and bring them to the center. That's that's wonderful. I I congratulate you on this work, really. <laughs> Muchas gracias, Petra. Yeah, and especially when in a woman, uh, like you say, you know that uh, in music we don't. Um, we don't recognize. I mean, I've spoken to a, a pianist who told me that um, of women composers whose work has never been really played or or not not as much recognized, and that he also looks for those works. You know that they're beautiful, beautiful music. But because in the time when it was women composing, that was not recognized as good music then yeah yes and also uh, our rationalist way of seeing life that is coming from the masculine narrative that and yeah. from the eurocentric narrative that put in the center the intellectual the rational and despise the corporeal the emotional and assign the emo- emotionality the uh, and the to to the lower um to to what they call some lower societies or mm, backward societies. Also, emotion was linked with women. So all their compositions uh, by by women were immediately put in a a low level of appreciation. But also, when we are only trying to, to, to acknowledge the contribution of women to music, if we are only looking for the composers, we are falling in the same trap of only assigning value to the more uh, intellectual or rational part of what music is that is composing. Because why? The, the A big and important part of what music is, is performing the music and also teaching the music. And those music um, women were, let's say, since the 16th century on before on, they were teachers teaching music in, in, in the home. They were performers. They were magnificent pianists and, and singers and performers in the homes of the elites who had access to music education. But they were also transmitting music to the next generations because they were in the space of the in the homes in the oh yeah the salons of the 19th century for example also that were private spaces music was made by women and was passed from generation to generation because of women mm-hmm. so we we tend to not to see that yeah. only focusing on the composers Yes, composers were important and they were less because, I mean, being a, going back to my first statement when I said that music was not seen as a prof- profession, but more as an ornament, 
Mm-hmm. Imagine this in the 18th century, 17th century. That was really, women were prepared, only trained for getting married and bearing children. Um, but we, they were playing an important role in the preservation and transmission of music skills and music appreciation. So that's equally important than the work of the composers. Yeah. No, that's true. Yeah. Oh, you make me think so much about these things. This is amazing. I'm definitely going to read your book. Where is your book available now? Tell me. So my book is called We Are What We Listen To. The yeah. impact of music on individual and social health, and this book is available in English in on Amazon. People can buy it. It's on Amazon, and it's in Spanish also. Mm-hmm. As somos lo que escuchamos, and it's also in Portuguese. So, oh, okay. mm-hmm. people can buy it from different parts of the world through Amazon, for example, or online they can find it. Mm-hmm. Okay, and I'm going to put, um, I'll put a link also to your website in the description of the, um, so if somebody wants to contact you. Thank you very much, Petra. Yeah, yeah. So, no, and all my books also, I, I created an online store that is called Mundo Arts. Oh, okay. I will and put that also, yeah. So in Mundo Arts, all my books are, are there. Amazing. You're an incredible woman, really. I, <laughs> it, it's, I'm so, I feel so privileged to talk to you. And I feel privileged to talk to you, Petra. Thank, Thank you, Patricia. But tell me now, um, what are your wishes for the future? For me or for the world? For you. <laughs> for, for both. <laughs> so the, I'm very ambitious not for money, mm-hmm. but ambitious in the sense of wanting more and more and more uh, learning. Mm-hmm. I want to learn constantly to so to learn more things. To and my wish for my future would be I my happiness would be having time to be able to develop all my creativity and write and sing and connect to people. So for me, the most precious gift and value is this, the, the time to, to be able to, to do my, to express my creativity. That's my biggest aspiration. That's uh, wonderful because you've already done so much. This is so uh, incredible that I think that you will still do many things. It is a challenge because, I mean, uh, from the economic point of view, for example, if you see I'm devoting myself entirely to do these things that I love and write. And not usually uh, I'm, people who do what I do are university professors. Mm-hmm. They are linked with, to an institutions who pay them for doing what I yeah. normally do. Mm-hmm. But I'm a freelance academic. Mm-hmm. So I do. And also I value that very much right now. I'm aware now, not in the past, I was not aware of that, but this freedom 
and the fact that of that I own all my time to do my research uh, have allowed me to also explore different areas that if I would be at a university, probably I wouldn't be able to do it with this freedom. Oh, yeah. So I'm connected and I constantly visiting universities and presenting my work there, but I'm not working at, at any. So this is a, a very good for my research, but also it's a challenge from the economic point of view because yeah. I have to make my work, my research work sustainable. Yeah. So, this is, so my creativity has to express in ways of how to make that profitable yeah i understand that very well and i also think it's also always um uh, a little bit more difficult if you have something where you feel like that it, it it you understand the purpose but somebody else doesn't understand it already you know for for it to to be understood from a financial point of view so i think it's yeah that's also sometimes a a difficult uh a difficult thing also that what do we the things that i like or the music that i do is is not mainstream yeah is not popular pop music is not music for the masses because i mean i don't have anything against that music but this this is not this is not my call so yeah. I'm going kind of against mainstream to to preserve some part of our heritage that if we don't do something, it will be lost. But yeah. this is not mainstream. It's not selling millions of copies. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I love that. I love people who don't do mainstream things. Really, I think yeah. this is because you have to be brave to do that. Yes, but, but mm. I think it's more than being brave is that sometimes you have this advocation yeah. that is so strong that you cannot do something different. Yeah, yeah. I totally agree with you, yeah. But now, Patricia, um, this was so lovely to talk to you, but I have one more question for you. See? <laughs> Can you do a shout out for your favorite restaurant or coffee shop there in Barcelona? I haven't had anybody to mention a coffee shop in Barcelona yet. Where oh. do you where do you go normally? Oh, so my favorite place in the world is my home. Oh, okay. But, yeah. but uh, let's see. Oh, there are so many beautiful places in Barcelona. More than a place itself. Oh, yes. My favorite place in the city is the Biblioteca de Catalunya, the National Library, yeah, which is a 15th century building yeah. that was built originally as a hospital. Really? It is the one of them and is considered one of the most beautiful libraries in the world, mm -hmm. Gothic style, and it became library in uh, at the beginning of 20th century. And it's located in, in the center of Barcelona in a neighborhood called El Raval. And this huge, amazing building is surrounded by a garden and very peaceful with orange trees. And there is a cafe right there. Yeah. That is a very nice place to just go and sit around the 
the library and so that's one place that is nice what wonderful what is the place called the cafe el aljardi okay aljardi is the garden oh okay okay i'll put the link i'll put the link of the cafe also in the description oh good so that yeah so that people who visit barcelona can go there yes and also we have a beautiful street called with the name of one of our greatest composers enrique granados yeah so the street enrique granados is a beautiful street for people to just walk by and see a lot of coffee shops and and restaurants and it's a beautiful place oh wow okay uh, well I'll, i'll have to come to visit barcelona yes Pedro. yeah <laughs> you come we we go to those places hopefully yes but when you come to vienna again then uh, hopefully soon then we will also go somewhere here nice in vienna Yeah. I hope to go back. I like it very much. That's great. Patricia, it was so lovely to talk to you and I wish you much success with your book and all the other projects you are doing. And I think it's it's wonderful work that you're doing also representing um you know these these um songs the 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 art songs of the Latin American art songs and the the like you say the languages that it's not commonly heard in and um yeah i think it's wonderful work that you're doing thank you petra thank you very much i also think is wonderful work you are doing is it very important to for people who do things like i do mm-hmm. i'm always grateful for people like you to call attention to to the work we are doing to inspire other people so it's very important what you are doing Thank you so much. I really appreciate your kind words. Well, have a lovely afternoon. <laughs> you too. And we'll speak soon. Okay, bye okay, Petra. Bye. Gracias. Adiós. Thank you. Bye.